0: You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome to No Particular Hurry. Today's guest doesn't really need an introduction, but how about this for one? He's got 10 full-time clients and four of them are in the top 10 in scoring in the entire NBA. Joel Embiid is an MVP favorite. Bradley Beal is leading the league in scoring. Jason Tatum is a bona fide superstar. And Zach Levine has transcended and is averaging over 27 points per game himself. Let's talk to skills trainer to the stars, Drew Hanlon. How you doing, Drew? Thanks for coming by. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. It's a it's a good time to have you. I know it's a a very good time for your brand. You've got like four of the top ten scorers in the NBA. Joel's my MVP so far. Um, what are you up to now? You're in Missouri. Yeah, I'm back home with family. I was born and
2: raised in St. Louis, uh, which is why the the Beal and Tatum connection, um, you know. But I'm back here with my family and. The one good thing about the NBA having stricter uh, protocols is that uh, you know I'm not at, on the road as much as usual, but uh, spending a lot more time doing the uh, video components, pregame scouting reports, postgame analysis, um, and a little bit less hands-on as I have been in years past.
1: That's awesome. I was going to ask you, what level of communication have you had with clients now that everything is distanced? ironically, I'm actually
2: talking to them a lot more
1: just because uh, it's harder
2: to make adjustments um, you know, when you're not there in person. I have been in person. You know, I've, I've spent time in Philadelphia. I've spent time in DC. I've spent time um, you know, in Miami. I've spent time out in Golden State. So I've been, I've been around, um, but it's just when you land somewhere, you have to have three negative COVID tests uh, three days in a row before you can work with them. Uh, so it's a little bit harder to make those game-by-game adjustments. You know, normally when a guy has an off-shooting night or struggles with a double team or you know struggles with something else, I'm able to fly right in, make a correction, and and boom, next game they can hopefully start uh, making improvements. But now it's more of video work. It it actually makes uh it makes it for a, a different kind of approach. Meaning, you know, let's use you know Joel, who you talked about earlier. You know, if he's struggling with some kind of double team read. Uh, you know, the first thing I'll do is I, you know, show them the video of why you're struggling with it. The second thing I'll do is I'll go through and find, um, you know, clips of people that have attacked that double team coverage in a certain way that's been successful. And then uh, we'll jump on FaceTimes to kind of uh, iron out the wrinkles and uh, hopefully they can make adjustments via video. If they can't, then that's when I end up getting on a plane and uh, and, you know, doing the work in person.
1: That's crazy. That's like having a private doctor and you said like, oh, I think I had a heart palpitation. He, I struggled against a double team and you're on a plane to work it out.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's how, it's, that's how it's been. You know, last year, one of the most documented cases was, you know, Brad Beal had shot, I think, 30% from three, The you know, all the way up until All-Star break. And, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, right at All-Star break, he was like, hey, man, listen, can you come up? Uh, to DC, let's let's. I want to see what you see in person because sometimes you can see stuff on film. Other times you have to see it in person. And so uh, we noticed the ball was moving away from the ball path was moving away from his body, and uh, we noticed that there was uh, a little imbalance. He was jumping a little bit on his left foot more than his right foot. So like sixty percent of his weight was on his left foot and forty percent on his right foot. And uh, those two tweaks after one two-hour workout of us going back and forth. Uh, you know, we end up shooting 49% from three the rest of the season. And um, that's that's what it is. That's what uh, player development's all about. It's not, it's not just putting guys through workouts, it's, uh, you know, making sure that you're working with guys. You know, these are the best basketball players in the world for a reason. They're super smart. So it's not me just telling them things, it's me showing them what I see, uh, us talking through why it's an issue, and then us talking through solutions, trying stuff out until they find a solution that works for them.
1: Yeah, I have plenty of follow ups there, but I wanted to start with maybe a, a lightning round.
2: All right, let's do it.
1: Just to cover some of the main main bases. All right, who's the most gifted client you've ever worked with?
2: Gifted, I would probably go with Joel Embiid, uh, just because of his height, uh, size, and his ability to uh, you know be as skilled as he is. Um, you know, I remember the first time I ever worked with him when he was you know was right at Kansas and. Um, I remember after the first workout, I was like, man, this guy going to be a Hall of Famer. He, he was able to pick up stuff so fast. Uh, you know, that's the thing that I think is um, so unique about Joel. Not only does he crave improvement and love basketball, but also he has a unique ability to apply things to games that he's learned right away. You know, there's times where uh, even, you know, there's been times where I'll show him something and he'll say, do it again, do it again, do it again. And he'll walk around me in a circle so he can see all the different nuances of of what I'm teaching him. And, uh, you know, sure enough, we'll say, all right, cool, I'm ready. And I'll throw it to him and he'll be able to do it full speed. And you'll see him, you know, use that new move or new technique the next day in a game, which is simply unheard of. Most guys, it takes months, uh, you know, or longer to, uh, implement new skills and, and techniques in games. Whereas, uh, Joel can see something on film and, uh, watch it over and over again and, and immediately apply it to the games, which is, uh, makes him really special.
1: All right, so, so the process can process pretty quickly, huh? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Hardest working?
2: That would be impossible for me to answer because I don't work with players that, that don't work hard. You know, the three things I look for in players number one is they have to love the game of basketball. I think that if you don't love the game of basketball, you're eventually going to hit a plateau and, um, you know, things are going to go south from there. So they have to love the game of basketball. Number two, they have to crave improvement. You know, I want guys that want to get better, that want to add to their game and grow their game and, and become better versions of themselves each and every year. And number three, they have to be coachable. You know, it's it's hard when you're, so you're the best in the world at something to, uh, you know, hear that there's a ton of room uh, for improvement. But that's what I do. I tell the best players in the world that they're not good enough and, um, and, and explain to them how we can get them to that next level. And so, uh, you know, all my guys are extremely hardworking. There's a bunch of NBA players, including some NBA all-stars that I've had in the gym that I've kicked out of the gym uh, that are super talented players that are really good players, but uh, they just don't love work or they, they're they not coachable, et cetera. So the guys that you see me rocking and rolling with, my full-time clients, all those guys are uh, elite workers that that truly crave improvement and and are coachable as well.
1: Yeah, and so will, will Joel ask you a million questions? Does he, will he text you and say – Hey, what, what what did I do last night how did I miss that double team
2: I think with all my clients uh, they they all have a uh, back and forth uh, you know they're just themselves I think that's the biggest thing is uh, you know some guys are very visual learners where they'll wait until I send them film edits some guys uh, right after the game you know some guys text me during at halftime and and ask you know what do I see out there and and other guys like to you know jump on a faceTime call after the game so every guy, every one of my clients has a different uh, way that they like to communicate. But um, the thing that's consistent with all of them is, uh, you know, they all um, not only want to know what I see out there, but they also like to go back and forth. Because again, they're out there. They're the one that knows even more than I do, because they, they have different feels than sees, you know, sometimes I might see something, but they feel something different. Or, uh, you know, maybe their coach said something, uh, you know, maybe their coach is telling them, Hey, we. I want you to attack this certain way, and so um, I have to. I don't know all those things because I'm not there on the bench with them. I'm not in the game with them. So, uh, you know, while while I provide a second set of eyes for their game, uh, the reason that they're some of the best basketball players in the world is because they also have a high level of basketball knowledge and understanding of the game. So, a lot of times, it's uh, you know me sending them a, a video edit or some a text message with some simple thoughts. We go back and forth. We'll both dive into the video. We'll compare thoughts, and then uh, you know decide what's a, what adjustments to make moving forward, so that they can you know continue to improve.
1: So this is really interesting to me. I, I know that it's right now it's sort of a pure sweat domination of the league, and your guys are just killing it. And I'm wondering, you couldn't have had a normal offseason. I'm used to following your Instagram, and I'll see you know, Joel playing king of the hill against Jason and Kelly. But now a lot of that was one on one, right?
2: Yeah. So this year was actually really weird. Like, um, you know, each each guy had a different story. You know, there were some guys that I spent a couple weeks with them in their home cities. Uh, there were some guys that came out to LA and, and uh, spent a month out in LA. But we were only together in L.A. for a month. Everything else was me just on the road, really locking in with guys, which was actually a unique experience. You know, usually I spend the entire offseason in L.A., and, and we'll have three to four months. Guys will come in and come out. Um, they'll compete against each other. Whereas this year, I spent one month in L.A. where guys were in and out, but we did no 5-on-5 five five stuff. And, um, you know, each guy really picked one to three things that they really wanted to work on to improve their game. And we just locked in on that. But it was a lot more individual work. Um, it was a lot more – I got more quality time with each guy just because I was in their cities. And we formed little bubbles, mini bubbles, uh, so that we were staying safe and uh, just put the work in that we could. And and now, um, you know, fortunately, a, a lot of the guys are off to good starts. And, um, you know,
1: hopefully we can keep that rolling. Would you say that you that you learned something from that? I know the early returns from maybe that type of one-on-one and boiling it down to maybe three things may not have been the norm, but it looks like it really helped. So would you say that the adversity allowed you to learn maybe a new way to to coach? I don't. I don't think
2: so. I think a lot of the guys were on that path. I think that the the one thing that Uh, I really enjoyed this year though was uh, we got to spend a lot more time on mindset uh, just because there was a lot more um, quality time, you know, outside of just basketball. Usually my schedule is so full that I might start at 6 a.m. and uh, rock and roll with training sessions until maybe 2 or 3 p.m., take a two or three hour break and the guys come back in for night shooting. And so there's not as much time dialogue outside of, you know, court sessions. You know, we might go grab a meal, we might go out, uh, you know, to dinner or something like that together here and there. But um, this year, because, you know, I was able to spend time with each guy in their own city, uh, you know, at we would do the whole day was built around spending time with them, you know. So it might be in the morning. They wake up, call me. I go over to their house. We do some film work. Uh, then we go to the gym. We, we knock out a workout. We come back, you know, maybe there's a lot of them have chefs. So they're chefs, we're preparing meals, we're just lounging around. Maybe they're playing video games, maybe we're just watching TV. Um, but I think that allowed me to get more uh, more work on the mentality side of the game, which is so important when you talk about these top-level guys. They're all super talented. They're all, they all have a, a big bag of tricks. Um, and so being able to really spend time with them and try to uh, set – not goals, but set kind of, a you know, a, agendas and focuses and, and stuff like that. Uh, I think that definitely paid off. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's something that, uh, I wish, I wish that, that I, I did more of, uh, now looking back, uh, just, you know, getting that quality time off the court where you can really, uh, you know, it's, it's, what I do during the season, but I normally don't get that off season.
1: Uh, and so, you know, it's something that I'll definitely implement moving forward in the off seasons as well. Well, well you know, if you study any type of, you know, evolution, there's always some type of adversity that leads to adaptation. And it sounds like maybe this exemplified for you something to do more of moving forward. I saw something you talked about and said, the way you would define ultimate success is inner peace. Would you say any of your top clients have inner peace?
2: That's what they're all working towards. You know, I always always joke around with the guys and I tell them I have two goals. You know, number one is to uh, make them the best player on the court and number two is help them become the best version of himself off the court and so I think those things go hand in hand you know I I'm a big believer that uh you know if, if something's wrong in your game uh, a lot of times it's because something's going on off the court and it's uh-huh. kind of uh you know filtering onto the court and so um, and that also leads the same thing with confidence you know you see guys that uh, are truly locked in in every aspect of their game. You know whether it's uh, they're they're doing the things, they're sleeping well, they're eating well, they're they're lifting, they're doing prehab routines, uh, they're doing their film studies, uh, they're they're doing it, they're looking at their analytics. Those are the guys that are all in, and those are the guys that can truly maximize uh, you know their ability on the court. Whereas the guys, if if they're they're um, not as consistent in any of those areas it usually leads there's a trickle down effect and it usually leads to some kind of inconsistencies on the court. So, um, yeah, no, I believe, I I believe a lot of those guys are getting to that point, um, you know, where they're getting more comfortable with who they are as, as players and as people. But I think that I'd I'd be lying to you if, if any person, not only just my clients or myself, but if any person out there said that they had it all figured out and there was, (laughs) you know, complete inner peace at, at all times, but that's definitely something that we're striving for is, for them just to enjoy the game of basketball, to, uh, to, you know, to, be at, to be in pure bliss when they're out there playing and, and hopefully uh, have the same effect and impact off the court as well.
1: So uh, you talked a little bit about tweaking Bradley's jumper in the middle of the season. This offseason, I mean, Joel is shooting lights out. I think he's at a 55 40 83% line right now. He's leading the league in mid-range percent, which is fifty-eight. Above names like Curry. Did you work specifically on his shot? And if so, what changes? He's did been you make?
2: shooting, and he's been a knockdown shooter for a lot of years. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, you know, there's there's things that uh, you know Chris Babcock, who's uh, the player development coach that works alongside him for the Sixers, and I have been telling him for years as far as you know, hold a two-hand follow-through, uh, making sure not to drop that guide hand, and uh, to remain on balance during your shot, but. The truth is, Joel's been a, a really good shooter for a long time. He's just gaining more confidence in it, and uh, that's why you're seeing him get the the results that he's that he's having. You know, he's taking good quality shots. Um, you know, he's trusting his fadeaway this year uh, more than he's ever has in his past. But uh, he's always had you know the ability to knock down shots. He's just shooting them with more confidence this year, shooting them in more rhythm. And um, like I said, confidence is is so important when it comes to getting results.
1: It'll be crunch time in a game, and he'll get the ball at the three-point line and take two dribbles with his left hand and do a little hezy pull-up right, right over you know Tristan Thompson, who's all over him. And it looks so fluid and comfortable uh, that it looks like – you know, I know you once made that footwork comparison between him and Hakeem, but I'm watching this year under Doc Rivers, and I'm like, you might have to do one with Kobe because he's doing a lot of this stuff, and it looks so weird to see a guy his size taking pull-ups comfortably the way he is.
2: Well, to be honest with you, I mean, if you look at the playoffs, and that's, you know, Joel's ultimate goal is to, you know, help lead the Sixers to a championship. If you look at the playoffs, the guys that, you know, have won championships, a lot of them rely on, you know, the mid-range jump shot. I know it's a analytical nightmare for people that are, are stat nerds, but um, the truth is if you look at the last, you know, 30 NBA champions, you think about Michael Jordan. Deadly in the mid range. Think about Akeem, yeah. deadly in the mid range. Tim Duncan, deadly in the mid range. Dwayne Why
1: CP3, Leonard,
2: even KD. I mean, you know, all these guys. Um, Kobe, who we mentioned earlier, Dirk Nowinski. All those guys had fadeaways and jump shots and pull ups in the mid range. And so, um, as you know, you know, last year he averaged thirty points a game in, in the postseason, and it and it got them swept. Uh, You know, obviously, some of that was due to injuries and stuff like that. But his ultimate goal is to be able to carry a team in the postseason. And we just know that looking big picture, uh, trusting the jump shot, being able to, um, you know, knock down shots with confidence is something that's important when it comes uh, crunch time because defenses play you different in the postseason. You know, we always, you know, I'm not saying me and Joel, but we in general, me and my clients always laugh because there are some players that are really good regular season players that you know aren't going to be able to, uh, you know, do what it takes to win in the postseason because different games translates different ways in the postseason. And so we're just trying to, uh, you know, prepare uh, for the postseason when it really matters most.
1: What did, you, what did you think of his wedgie phase at the free throw line? His what now? His wedgie phase. Do you remember that? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> He would take a wedge at every free throw for like a few weeks. Yeah, I, I didn't teach him that. That was all him. <laughs> he's got a lot how of praise is. for his passing, but if you're doing a lot of one-on-one work, how does how is his passing so much better this year?
2: Again, I think that comes down to trusting his handle. He's, he's really worked hard on improving his handle, so he has control of the basketball, and then that's something that really started, um, you know, last last year before the bubble, um, before the bubble. Uh, Chris Babcock and I had, had really put an emphasis on, on passing out of double teams. We knew there were going to be a lot of double teams. And ever since then, Joel spent a lot of time on it. It also helps that, you know, the, the personnel has changed so that, you know, there's uh, you know there's more shooters around them. Um, and, and, you know, when you know guys are going to make shots, you trust them more to, to be able to make the easy pass instead of trying to make the heroic pass to a shooter that might be uh, a better shooter on the weak side. So I think that personnel helped some. I think him working hard on uh, reading where his teammates were when double teams came, uh, just understanding where the coverages were kind of uh, bleeding him to, and then also just him trusting his handle, which, I mean, you've seen him probably more comfortable than he's ever looked before as far as a face-up position, even in like what we call delay action, um, you know, where he's at the top of the key and and doing dribble handoffs. But I think the the coaching staff has done a good job putting him in positions for him to succeed, and then I think that – uh, you know, Joel's worked, spent a lot of time working on things that uh, you know help him feel more comfortable in those scenarios as well.
1: Do if you were magically a GM, would you trade Ben Simmons for Brad Beal so you could have a pure sweat connection?
2: If I was a GM, I would stack up all the pure sweat guys on one team, and I would move them to a, a nice warm location. So we, you know, we'd be. I know the NBA has uh, has plans to have two expansion teams possibly in the future. So. We would be like the, uh, you know, we'd be in Malibu or, or uh, you know, somewhere down in, in the in the way south uh, Florida. Uh, we'd be the, the Malibu Monsters or something like that, and I'd have all my guys on the same team.
1: <laughs> I think the Sixers could use Shemi right now. It's someone who would really post up and maybe stretch the floor. I mean, guard a post up and stretch the floor for those moments Ben Simmons is in and Joel sits. it's
2: trust me I uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to be friends with a lot of the coaches and, and GMs around the league and uh, you know I don't know how many times I've talked to all of them about trying to pile all my guys up but so far I haven't had much uh, much luck with it but uh, it'll be fun one day if, if any of uh, you know if any of my clients play with each other um, you know I think it would be something that's that's really cool and uh, you know it be it'd be fun to see how they rock and roll together.
1: Did you issue a warning to Joel that his team was making a monster mistake not drafting Jason Tatum?
2: I I did I did I mean I was I was a uh, obviously I worked with Jason since I was thirteen years old and so I I I told everybody in that draft I said there I've never been more sure that Jason is going to be a star and uh, you know I obviously I know that you know as as a trainer you always uh, you know, try to hype up your guys sometimes because you want to help them out sometimes because you want to give them more confidence. Um, but you know, I, I did believe in my heart of hearts that he was the best player. So trust me, there's a, there's a bunch of times where, uh, we joke around in the gym and and we're all in group chats together. Um, and, uh, there's plenty of times where, uh, where we brought that up, that, that, that was a, uh, (laughs) that was, that was a possibility that they could have been on the same team.
1: Sure. There's this, uh, old Bill Simmons joke: When he watches Rob Gronkowski play football, he it feels like he's watching his toddler teeter around by the swimming pool. And there have been times where I felt that way watching Joel. He would look to make a track down block in the half court and land among everyone's feet. But I'm seeing less of that this year. Have you worked with him at all on avoiding dangerous plays?
2: I haven't. No, I haven't. Uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I my my focus when I work with any of my clients is just trying to improve them and help them improve their team's chances of winning games. Um, you know, I know that, uh, there's a a smart component, um, you know, that guys start learning how to avoid fouls, how to avoid injuries, et cetera. But when you're out there on the court instincts take over. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm not aware of any special, any special, uh, kind of approach that that has changed in, in his mentality.
1: So I want to ask you a little bit about uh, innovation. We see, you know, the NBA will make a change like the gather rule or the the double step back, and a guy like James Harden and maybe in conjunction with Daryl Morey will take advantage. Do you ever put on reading glasses and and read through the rule book and look for ways your guys could get ahead?
2: Oh, I teach a ton of things that people would probably call travels and people would say is, uh, not old school basketball. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of my clients, a lot of them utilize uh, shuffles and step backs. Uh, you know, if you look at Zach Levine and Jason Tatum and Brad. Zach's is,
1: Zax is beautiful this year.
2: All of those guys, you know, they, everyone's, you know, calling me and man, that's a travel that you're teaching. And I say, Hey, listen, if they're not going to call it, we're going to do it. Uh, if you think about some of those guys as well. And Joel, one of the best guys at drawing fouls in a league, as soon as people started um, you know, guarding, uh, you know, with our hands out, you know, we try to get, the Racer, yeah. get to the free throw line. But I think that's just being smart. I mean, you know what I mean? Any, any, if you watch any possession in an NFL football game, somebody's pushing, holding, you know, they could call a penalty on every play, but what you have to do is you have to understand, you have to be smart enough to understand what, what's allowed and what's not. So, oh yeah, we definitely, uh, there's definitely a gray area and we try to push that boundary as much as we can.
1: Yeah, I think that's smart. I mean, Belichick's been caught doing it three times, but how many times has he not been caught that led to a Super Bowl,
0: right?
2: Yeah, it's crazy. I, I, one of those times, though, I'm a St. Louis guy, so my St. Louis Rams, uh, you know, uh, lost because of the spy gate. So is, not- is Mahomes going to win the Super Bowl? Um, I, I would never bet against Tom Brady, but I think the Chiefs have a better team. You know, I I, I think yeah, the Chiefs yeah. have a better I, I team. Hope the Chiefs uh,
1: um. So, do you has has a guy you work with ever had to go to... There's this old story that Michael Jordan, he would do this double jab step, and he'd have to tell the refs what he was going to do before the game, because they would call a walk. You see if a guy like Joel a couple nights ago, he did this step-through move that I've seen on your Instagram, where you, you pivot on the left, but you shoot off the right, and you often see the defense do the traveling motion, but they don't call it because it technically is legal. Do you ever have to go and tell a ref, like, here's what I'm going to do?
2: No. I mean, like in high school, I remember when I was working with Jason Tatum in high school, he would go up before the games and like, quote, unquote, educate the refs. He'd say, hey, listen, <laughs> this, these are some of the moves that, you know, that some guys have maybe some of these referees around the area call to travel and, and like count the steps with them because Jason was doing – you know, pro moves when he was in high school. Um, and I know Zach Levine, uh, when he was at, right in his pre-draft phase, I remember I was teaching him some of the shuffle off stuff. And this is before it was really heavily utilized in the NBA. And I remember a bunch of GMs coming to me and saying, hey, listen, like we know that you want to show that Zach can get separation, but like you're teaching him travels. And I was like, no, this isn't a travel because the ball doesn't, you know, steps don't count until the ball's secured with two hands. And they kind of didn't believe me. i have actually got some pretty notable GMs um, and coaches on film with a conversation that them saying, "Oh, they're going to call that every time," which is pretty funny because it's, you know, I don't know when Zach was pre-draft to 2015, I believe, no 2014 maybe, um, or 15. So, you know, it was it was a little bit before those days. But now NBA refs are so good, man. I know that I know that NBA fans don't think that. You know, NBA fans think that their teams always uh, getting screwed by calls. But <laughs> uh, the truth is. NBA refs are the best refs in the world. And and they're also having to call this stuff in full speed. And you've got offensive guys that are trying to, you know, take advantage of the rule book. You've got defensive guys that are trying to, you know, stop some of the most talented offense players in the world. It's just a really hard game. You know what I mean? If you think, you know, if, if there's a guy that's, you know, two big guys, if they're banging down low, I mean, technically the offensive player is charging into the defensive player. And the defensive player is following the offensive player. You have to let a little bit of that go because, you know, the game is an entertainment game. It's for fans. And so if they wanted to, they could call a call every single possession. And, and that's why, uh, you know, fans get the uh, homer goggles on and only see the fouls or travels or violations that the other teams are committing. But the truth is the refs in the NBA are, are really skilled. And while they do miss calls, they're human, they miss calls, just like NBA players miss shots and coaches call bad plays or make
1: bad substitutions. Um, NBA refs do a good job for the most part. You mentioned um, a lot of your guys have like a personal chef. Uh, and I, I think Joel talked about this being the first offseason he really committed to his diet. And he also said, like, you guys did a grueling, what was it, four weeks, six day per week quarantine sessions. What did you guys do in there? And did you notice a change in him physically in terms of conditioning?
2: I think the biggest changes that he's made is mentally. I think that, you know, he's, he's all in and, um, you know, he's always loved uh working hard on his game he's always loved watching film but I think that uh some of those other areas that he's mentioned um you know he's he's taken more seriously and I think that you know the crazy thing is right now everybody has him as you know one of the MVP front runners or if if not the MVP frontrunner. but he's, he's my MVP yeah he was putting up these type of numbers two years ago you know and I think that you know the the personnel when he's surrounded by shooters I think that that ben- that you know helps him a lot it, it plays to his benefit and uh, but I do think his mentality has changed a lot. I do think he's committed in uh, every aspect of, of improvement, and, and uh, you know, he's, he's reaping the rewards for that as well.
1: Two years ago, he was a bona fide MVP candidate, and then he hit the injury report with back tightness, which is deja vu right now. Would you load manage, Joel, if you were his coach? That's not my decision to make.
2: You know, I, I obviously, I want him to be out there as much as he feels great. Um, you know, I think the ultimate goal is to help the Sixers win when it matters, which is in the postseason. Um, but ideally, you know, you're, uh, you're available throughout the season and at your best in the postseason. So, um, yeah, I, I stay out of all that. My, my role is to, to help him with his skills, to help him with his schemes and, and coverages and, uh, you know, all the film work and analytics stuff. Um, I leave everything else up to the uh, the people that are, um, you know, that, that are in charge of that.
3: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in.
0: You can find it on the Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Would you say that there's um, an age where you begin to see diminishing returns in terms of teaching shooting? Like, you're working with R.J. Barrett, and I'm guessing he's still young enough that you could do a lot with his shot, right? You had a funny moment. You were blocking Knicks fans who were impatient with his shooting.
2: it's funny. I mean, here's the truth. I mean, the truth is, um, you know, when you make a big shot change, uh, it takes time, not only for the player to get comfortable with the mechanics, but also for the player to get confident enough to, to get the results, you know? Um, and, and I think that's something that people don't realize, you know, it, it, it takes time. And so, um, you know, with RJ in August, uh, we changed his shot and I was with him all of August. I didn't see him in September, October, November, or December. And so there's four months where he's shooting on his own. He's feeling confident, but there was some slippage. And so he starts off the season, and, uh, you know, there were some mechanical things that we had to make.
1: You moved his – as a lefty, you moved his elbow out, right, which is counterintuitive?
2: Um, yeah, yes and no. I mean, he. if you saw the before and after, I mean, you would say it looks way better. He, his elbow was completely on the right side of his body. Was, his, his arm was actually crossing his nose line. His left arm was on his right side, which is – Obviously not good, and so um, we made a big change. And so um, you know, it's funny because he had one good game, uh, his first game. He started out, he like didn't miss, he made his first eleven shots. And Nick fans were you know sending me tweets of "Wow, you're like you know God." And and I I tempered expectations, and I said, "Hey, listen, just so you know, it's going to be up and downs. Like you know, it's yeah. he's going to have good days and bad days." And uh, RJ knew that. You know, our our goal was not for him to shoot forty percent from three this year. Our goal was for him to. more confident in knocking down shots and I told him I said hey listen if you shoot between 33 and 35 percent and and make the mechanical adjustments but the mid-range area is is a lot better than it was last year that's a big step forward you know and um and, and let's be real the Knicks are not contenders for a championship this year the goal is for them to improve and they have you know Tibbs and their coaching staff have done an amazing job with them already in a short period of time of being more competitive buying in on the defensive end and winning more games and so, you know, I think that too many fans don't understand that development takes time. You know, there's sometimes where I'll get credit for a player's shot change and they'll be like, wow, what did, like, for instance, Joel, you assume that we made a shot change where the truth is we've made changes in years past. It's just now he's, you know, whether he's uh, mastered those changes or whether he's just got more confidence or whether his uh, he's at different spots on the floor, those all, all those things make, um, you know, go into making shots as well. So I think, that. it's years in the
1: making there'll be ups and downs
2: yeah and, and you know what and it, and it happens at different times you know you got guys like you mentioned shimiola jay who you know he had a wrist flex flexibility issue that he could not get his hand bent back so like most people if you look at the the degree of the, of that, yeah if you have if you look at their degree from by basically like their forearm to the back of their hands if it's all the way back as far as it can most people can get close to 90 95 degrees Shimmy couldn't even get, he couldn't get close to 120 degrees. He had literally no flexibility. 180 is flat. He could get to like 120. And so that's hard to snap a basketball. And so it took years of therapy and it took, you know, where they were actually doing tissue work to his hand and to loosen up those uh, muscles and loosen up, you know, whatever else is in in the wrist and uh, forearm. And then, you know, once he, he was physically able to do it, then we could make the changes that we needed for him to be a knockdown shooter. And so you know, people that are like, "Wow, you know, Shimmy's shooting it great this year." That's four years of therapy and and tissue work, and and then also, you know, thousands and thousands of shots to get to the point where he trusts his mechanics. The mechanics are consistent, and he can physically do those things because physical limitations, um, you know, are a real thing. And there's times where, you know, I'm, I'm working on my golf game right now, and I am not very flexible in some parts of my golf swing, and you know, my golf swing coach will say, Hey, listen, ideally we would get you to rotate like this, but because you can't, I'm going to have to patch together a different, you got to do hip work. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to have to patch together a different technique. Just know that once you do loosen up your hips or loosen up your shoulders or loosen up whatever, then we're going to have to change your swing again. And so (laughs) that's what you see a lot of times is, uh, physical limitations also hinder, um, you know, what they can do out there. And ideally everybody has a perfect, you know, body where they're flexible and they, you can do everything, and, and uh, you,
1: you create this picture-perfect shot. But the truth is,
2: that's just not the, the, not, not the case in, the most, in most examples. Do you,
1: do you have a specific set of principles that you'll teach? Like, for example, I notice RJ's right hand, right wrist, is bent. So he's essentially manually removing his right hand, his guide hand, from the ball. But Bradley's guide right hand is almost immobile. Do you talk to him about that, or do you just feel like every client's a little different? Every client's a little
2: different. Like, um, you know, I, I think that you have to make them – number one, they have to be comfortable. Number two, they have to be confident. Number three, they have to be consistent. And so those are the three Cs. And everybody has to have good balance. Balance is my non-negotiable. Another thing they have to do is they have to have the ball in their shooting hand in the middle of their hand at the point of release. If you cannot get that ball at the point of release, you're going to have trouble. And there have been guys I've worked with that – like Shimmy Olajay, that, that struggled getting the ball in the middle of their hand, um, you know, at the point of release. So it doesn't have to start there, it just has to end there. Um, as long as those two things happen and you have a straight snap, usually it's pretty good. Then it's all about source of power, getting power from your elbow, making sure that your shot is fluid, your legs are connecting with your upper body. Um, but everybody has a different shot. And then there's also different steps. Uh, when I changed Jason Tatum's shot, you know, he had a shot pocket that was way up high. When you looked at his... Um, Basically, was Jason Tatum, um, when he had his, he, he him and Zach Levine both had way high pockets where they shot the ball behind their head when they were in high school. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you have high pockets just because you want to, you know, avoid getting your shot blocked. And for both of those guys, we had to lower their shots. Well, with Jason during the pre-draft, we lowered his shot and he was knocking down shots, but he had a lot of left hand activity. He was, you know, really using his left thumb and left kind of uh, the, the pad of the pad of like his left thumb. And um, I said, hey, Jay, just so you know, we're going to have to eventually change this, uh, you know, next summer. I said, this is like part one and part two. Well, then he goes out and shoots 43% of his rookie season. I said, hey, we're not changing shit.
1: The ball's going <laughs> in. And were, so- you, were you scared? Because there's another famous example of a number one overall pick working on his shot before the rookie year that didn't work out. Were you scared to change his shot that offseason? Well,
2: I mean, it. it listen, I, 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 I'm a big believer of, you know, you always can get better. And so that's what you do, you know, and I, and I think you were referencing Markel. But, you know, I, I got Markel after he had already had, you know, a bad rookie season. So I I didn't work with him as pre-draft Markel. I didn't work with him as rookie season. I worked with him
1: after and was trying to help him recover. Keith Williams was there. But, you know, supposedly adjusting his shot a little bit and his dip at the same time you were working on – that uh lowering release with Jason. Jason.
2: No, I mean I mean listen, it's it's one of those things where um, you know, Jason is a career forty percent shooter. Zach Levine have changed his shot. He's, you know, right at forty percent hovering. Brad Beal worked with him since he was thirteen years old on his shot. He can shoot it. Shimmy has become a knockdown shooter. Myers Leonard, the four years that I've worked with him has been over forty percent. And it could like, shotgun a beer. Enough that I know that, you know, it might not happen right away, but I know that in the long run it's gonna pay off. And if you're not a good shooter, if you do not have the ability to make shots, then in the postseason, you are not going to be as effective as you can. And if you look at the history of guys that have won championships, all the star players had the ability to make shots. Now, you say, what about like a guy like Shaquille O'Neal? Yes, there are some physical, you know, uh, specimens that have, you know, he just bullied everybody and was able to dominate the game in a different way. But if you take away big guys, the guys that play, you know, back to the basket all of those guys have been able to shoot. And so, you know, that's one thing that, uh, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, have my guys' careers plateau by them not being shot makers. And so guys like RJ are a perfect example. You know, this, you know, right now he's on a hot streak the last seven games. He's shooting 45% from three, but do I think that he's going to shoot 45% from three the rest of the way? No, I think it's going to go up and down. He's going to have some inconsistencies, but, you know, I do know that his shot uh, mechanics are in a way better spot than they were last season and I know that it's something we can build on next season and so he'll eventually get the results that he wants. So he,
1: he's he's averaging more points than some pro buckets like Clarkson, Kemba, Conley. Yeah, he's I mean he's playing really well. Like I said it's it's there's good's and bads. I think that
2: the big thing that you want is uh, I'd never start judging um a player, you know, how good they're going to be until years like 3 through 5. That's when you start seeing really how good they're going to be and and again, sometimes opportunity plays a factor, sometimes role plays a factor, sometimes you know, where they got drafted plays a factor, but um you know, I think in years 3 through 5 you start really seeing what you're going to get out of that player and so um you know, the the first couple of years you shouldn't judge. You know, I don't think people realize Michael Jordan didn't shoot over 20% from 3 until year 6. Different era, but I mean, couldn't shoot. I mean, you look at Kevin Durant, didn't shoot 30% his rookie season. Talk about Kevin Durant, who came in the league after, you know, destroying college basketball. Um, you know, he came in the league and he didn't even shoot 30% from three. Um, so, I mean, there's a he lot was of. helping players. them tank for Russ and James. <laughs> James. <laughs> there was a lot of examples of players that have struggled early on in their careers and they've eventually figured it out. Um, and so, you know, my goal is to help them reach uh, you know, the, the peak of how good they can become in their prime. And so, uh, sometimes there are, uh, you know, things you have to change that may set you back in the short term, but they'll propel you forward in the long term.
1: Has has Joel, I think Joel suggested you work with Markel. Has he ever suggested you work with Ben or Ben work with you? No, I
2: mean, we, again, we've, uh, we've never had that conversation. You know, it's always, uh, I've, I've focused on the guys that I work with and, uh, you know, Ben is not one of them. Joel is one of them. So, I, you know, I spend all my time and energy focusing on uh, what I can control. And that's the guys that are in the gym with me and,
1: and that are uh, working with me. Yeah, because, I'm, you know, I, sometimes I watch your Instagrams. I'm thinking the jump shot aside, he could really benefit from some of those unorthodox footwork drills that you teach. Like shoot a runner off the right leg with the right arm, shoot a floater off two legs. You know, uh, he, he can certainly benefit from at least some footwork stuff.
2: Yeah, like I said, I mean, I, I would love to pat myself on the back and say that there are a lot of guys in the league that I, that I don't work with that I think that I could help if I do work with them. But uh, the truth is, you know, every guy needs to find a trainer that uh, they're comfortable with, uh, that they, they feel like has the same approach. And, um, you know, and, and, and that's, that's the truth of it. I don't think every trainer is for every player and every player is for every trainer. So I've, uh, you know, I've, I've locked in with the guys that I work
1: with and, and fortunate that a lot of those guys are getting results. In terms of – I know you've got your sort of prerequisites for working with you in terms of being humble enough to take coaching, but do you find that there's a certain personality type that does do even better?
2: Um, you know, with our legacy, something beyond just money and beyond fame, I think those are things that, that stand out to me that really separate the guys. You know, I love I love the old school like question like, do I think that this player will touch a basketball after they're done playing? You know, like when they retire, that you can still randomly see them at a YMCA, or you're going to randomly see them at games, or those Ray
1: Allen still doing drills.
2: Yeah, you know, like you see, like a guy like Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson not only comes to games, Sixers games, but he also he shows love to everybody. You know what I mean? And to me, that's just a sign that he really loves the game. You look at like a guy like Jamal Crawford. uh, Jamal Crawford, even though he's not in the NBA right now anymore you just know he's out there still hooping just because he's a hooper at heart, you know? Oh yeah. And He
1: could play at least 75 at
2: least. Yeah. yeah those are the guys that I think are uh, successful
1: in the long run. Who, which one of your, who, which one of your clients has the closest to a Mamba mentality? That's just so hard to say because I, I try to instill as much as I can of
2: that. And a lot of them already have a lot of that in them. I mean, I think like you said, four of the guys that I work with right now are top 10 in scoring I think that that would be a good start to say, you know, if you can average over 27 points a game, which all four of those guys are right now, I think that's a that's on the right approach, you know, being the oldest one is Brad, who's, uh, you know, what, 27 years old? Twenty, Yeah, 26 or 27
1: years old right now. And they're, and they're all young, yeah. What, what do you do in terms of defense? Do you work on defense?
2: Not much, to be honest with you. I know that's one of the things that uh, I, I do take criticism for, and I'm fine with it, but Uh, I focus more so on the offensive game. Just every team has um, different defensive schemes and and rotations and coverages. Um, And so I I leave that to, you know, the coaching staff to really uh, tell their players what to do. There are times where we'll do individual work on it just if they need to, you know, improve guarding the ball. Um, But I I stay out of – I I stay in my lane. I stay out of the coaching realm as far as schemes, coverages, um, and stuff like that. But I will show them on film. You know, if they're angled a certain way and that's hurting them, or if they're guarding a certain opponent, you know what kind of moves they like to go to and and different ways that they can guard that player just to take take away their strengths and push them towards their weaknesses. But um, you know, as far as like spending hours of time on it, uh, it's not something that I spend much time on. Hey, hey real, real quick, just you know, I got to run in like five minutes, so I don't know if you have a wrap up stuff. I got to run in like
1: five minutes. All right, I'll take I'll take half of that five. Perfect. Um, um, what would you say would be like the perfect the perfect uh, client for you? Is it a guard? Is it a wing? Is it a big? Who could you take the farthest? Just if we were designing this prototype of a player. Player.
2: I mean, I think I think that you know, I, I think I you, you put together a guy that has the build of the build of like a Joel Embiid and uh, Jason Tatum kind of like tall with if you put, if you make Jason Tatum's like ability to move and stuff like that, uh, with the fluidity of Zach Levine, with the the core strength of Brad Beal and the size of Joel, I mean, I'm just throwing out those four guys because we've talked about them, but that would be a pretty damn near perfect athlete. I think you're looking at like a taller version of LeBron James. Um, you know, I mean, LeBron is almost picture perfect when it comes to a basketball athlete, uh, strength, his core, his mobility, his agility, his uh, stamina, his speed, his quickness. I mean, he's, He's pretty much exactly what you would do if you could build a uh, a perfect basketball player from the ground up.
1: Yeah, yeah. His landing, like he'll he'll block a shot out of bounds, way over the rim, and then you'll see him hit the block and then look down at his feet to make sure it doesn't land on anyone. And then one leg absorbs all his weight, so he's safe too.
2: That's a lot of hard work, you know. I know that there's a lot of. uh, There's a lot of kind of uh, natural-born blessings that LeBron has that, uh, you know, a lot of people wish they had, but uh, that's also a ton of hard work on his body, Um, maintenance, taking care of it, fueling it the right way. All of that stuff goes into being the the athlete that he is with the durability
1: that he's had. Have you ever been approached to work specifically for a team or would you never do that? You prefer individuals?
2: All the time. Yeah, I turn it down every year. I I like, I'm I'm just loyal uh, to the guys that I have. You know, I've worked with Brad for, what, 13, 14 years now. It'd be hard to tell Brad, like, hey, buddy, find a new trainer. Good luck. <laughs> I'm glad, I, got, I'm glad I, I was able to be a small part of your journey to this point. Like, it's just not going to happen. And, and the other thing is, like, if I take a job with somebody, now I, you know, half I, I work with players on half the teams in the league, so half the nights I'm going to have to tell my team how to stop somebody that I've, you know, become a brother to. You know, that's just mm-hmm. – so do I think that one day um, – you know, I could entertain it possibly, but at this stage in my life, I, I want to really rock and roll with my clients until they, uh, until they retire. And, um, at that phase, who knows what I'll do.
1: Lightning round real quick. Um, what's your favorite animal? Favorite
2: animal. When I was growing up, I used to always say a cheetah because it was really fast, but, um, I've started to become a dog person. Um, so I, I don't know, I'd say, I'd say either a cheetah as my like wild animal and, and a dog as my uh, my pet animal.
1: And you, and you grew up in football and baseball country. How did basketball come to you?
2: I just loved it. I was actually probably better at soccer than I was at uh, basketball, but I just uh, I loved basketball for whatever reason. And it was something that, that I found uh, myself really energized whenever I uh, had a chance to play it. So that's what I ended up doing.
1: Why do so many bigs struggle to shoot from distance? Is it their trajectory? Is it their hand size? You said why do so many bigs struggle from shooting from distance? Yes.
2: Um, I think a lot of reasons. I think, one, I mean, a lot of guards grow up shooting from distance, so they, they're more comfortable and confident doing it. Two, I think that hand placement on the ball has something to do with it. A lot of uh, guys with bigger hands, um, you know, they struggle putting that offhand somewhere that is easily uh, removed on their shot. And I think the uh, the last component is they don't trust their arc. For whatever reason, they think because they're taller, they don't have to shoot with arc and uh, arc is what controls the drop angle and the drop angle is what gives you more room for error. And so, um, you know, you want a higher drop angle uh, so that ultimately you have more uh, room for error. And I think a lot of big guys don't trust, you know, shooting with arc on their shot, uh, which is a very necessary thing if you want to um, make, make shots consistently.
1: Do you have any vision for the way the NBA might go in the next five years? Do you think there'll be more threes, less threes, teams with four guards, teams with four bigs who can all take step backs?
2: I think you're seeing a lot of the evolution already. I think that we always go in waves uh, you know for a while it looked like the big man was getting extinct and now the big man's more valuable than ever. you see the you know you see the Joel, you see the the Joker, you see Anthony Davis, you see the guys like, you know, what Draymond did for Golden State and now what Bam's doing for the Miami Heat. So um, I think that versatility is the key word. I think, uh, you know, guys are going to continue to get more and more versatile. I also think there's going to be a weird trend where isolation basketball is going to come back into play because every team is switching a lot more. And so I think you'll see guys, you know, get switches, get mismatches and have to go back into their bags like you saw a lot in the 90s um you know guys shot makers are are you know not just you know shooters i'm talking about shot makers guys that can create and make shots i think those guys will be at a premium in these next couple years
1: have you seen any development or evolution in female interest in the sport and skills training over your career you said in females female interest and girls interest in sports in the sport and skills training specifically
2: yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that uh, you know, the world we're living in is becoming less and less uh, gender uh, oriented. So I think that, um, you know, I think that girls, you've seen a lot of, uh, you know, girls that have grown up to uh, realize that they can be coach at the, at the men's level. And um, I think there's a lot of, you know, bright uh, female uh, coaching candidates in our league right now. So I think it'll just continue to get more and more neutralized um, as the years go on.
1: All right, man. Thanks so much. I had to do the whole thing like a lightning round because I was so excited to get you on and I wanted to pepper you with questions the whole time. I know you're busy, but this was really fun. Uh, if you want to plug anything, anything you're working on.
2: I'm all good. No, I'm all good. I think that the big thing is, you know, if fans want to connect with me, they can follow me on all the social media stuff, uh, you know, at Drew Hanlon, H-A-N-L-E-N. And, uh, you know, I just know I'm prepared for the, the bad nights where I get bombarded with negativity. And I'm also... Uh, appreciative of the good nights where guys have good nights and I get some some pub, but no, I I, uh, I appreciate fans that have that have a good understanding of basketball. I think the guys that overreact to one game uh, are the fans that I, I just know that they're very uh, they have low basketball intelligence. Whereas the people that maybe see a trend over a period of time, a week or two struggles, uh, and they ask questions or curious instead of uh, just you know going straight to the negativity. Those are the fans that I enjoy connecting with.
1: Coach Drew, you ruined my guy. My guy.
2: <laughs> it's wild, man. You would you would you uh, would you you would be actually entertained if you ever uh, got a uh, day to just dive into my DMs.
1: You you, you offered up your te- your own cell phone, right, for people to text you.
2: Yeah, I've got a text for fans, coaches, and players. Uh, you know, I get to, I have a quick block button. Um, you know, for the people that are not there to uh, to uh, better the game of basketball. That's that's my true passion is growing the game of basketball, and so. Um, you know, I try, I try my hardest to help every client that I can, and there's going to be some good nights. There's going to be some bad nights. There's going to be some good streaks and some bad streaks. Uh, you know, I think that at the end of the day, uh, if they look at the overall results, uh, that's all that really matters.
1: Well, for any role you have in helping the Cameroonian Colossus MVP, we thank you from Sixers Nation and thanks for coming by. Awesome. Appreciate you.